Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care, episode number 149. I'm Wolfgang Vashon. Over the summer, we posted a number of Education Day presentations from the National CYC Conference, which took place in May of 2018. From those short 10-minute presentations, one of the most popular ones has been on threshold concepts by Graham McFeet. He was originally supposed to do that presentation with Dr. Laura Steckley. Unfortunately, she was unable to come to Vancouver. So I reached out and invited her to speak with me today in more depth about threshold concepts. Dr. Steckley is the course director of the MSc in Advanced Residential Care at the University of Strathclyde in Scotland, where Graham McFeet also works. Prior to becoming a faculty member, uh, Dr. Steckley worked in residential treatment in the U.S. and residential care in Scotland. Welcome and thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Steckley. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Wolfgang. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I'm, I was quite struck when I was looking at the, the stats um, regarding the presentation that threshold concepts really came up. I'm not sure that everyone had a chance to listen to that short or that it was so popular, such a popular um, Education Day podcast. Could you maybe start by giving us a a simple definition of what threshold concepts are, if there's such a thing as a simple definition? Sure. Um, Actually, before I'll do that, I'll offer an alternate theory for why the podcast is so popular. I wonder if people just want to tune in to hear the lovely Scottish accent. (laughs) I'm sure that's probably it. That's probably it. But but in case it is, because people are interested in threshold concepts, I'm I'm really delighted to have the opportunity to talk about them in more depth. So to start out with, threshold concepts can be thought of as um, concepts that... Once you get your head around them, they, they transform your learning or your practice and take you to kind of a, a different level, not only of knowledge, but of being. Um, so threshold is deliberate in the title. It's uh, like a portal or a um, threshold that one goes through in coming to grasp a concept. And so... Um, educators became quite interested in this way of understanding the experiences of students and began to wonder about whether, you know, various different disciplines had these concepts in them that were deemed threshold. There are other characteristics of threshold concepts that we'll get to, but just as a starter for 10, it's those concepts in a given discipline that are really transformational for students. And this work isn't, this notion of threshold concepts isn't unique to child and youth care, and indeed it's been around for a while, and you've started to explore it through child and youth care. Without going into much detail, is there some sort of evidence base that says, yes, in uh, a number of fields, there are indeed these notions of thresholds or portals after which uh, people are transformed in the way they, they think and practice? Yeah, um, actually, there's a substantial body of empirical evidence, partly because the educational community really has become very interested over the past couple of decades, I would say. Um, At least 170 disciplinary or professional contexts have begun to develop evidence for the existence of threshold concepts, although I probably should pause here and say my relationship with theory, which this is just a theory, is that um, theories are ways in which we understand 
phenomenon. And so this is just one way of understanding curriculum content and student experience of coming to understand that. It's certainly not the only way, but it seems to have been useful enough for 170, at least at the as of 2014, which is the most recent publication I can find that talks about that, um, have found this to have explanatory power really in making sense of and guiding the development of curriculum. And you are uh, at least proposing that, uh, you know, maybe we should add to that number to be 171 at the <laughs> minimum. <laughs> and, yeah. and you've embarked upon a project to really map out threshold concepts as they relate to caring for children and, and youth. Why have you done that? Yeah, I, it's interesting because um, when we exchanged some ideas about what to talk about today, it made me realize that that's probably what it looks like that I'm doing. And what I'm doing is slightly different at this stage anyway, rather than trying to map out a lot of concepts. Um, the first thing I wanted to do was to ask the field, if you will, um, does this make sense to you? Do you think this has utility? Can it can it help us as educators? Can it help you as practitioners, um, direct practitioners? And so that was kind of the first part. And then if the answer was yes, then then really I'm very open and exploratory, like what might be some threshold concepts? And I think all of my reading, which I've done an awful lot of reading about threshold concepts, um, has been um, has been probably quite influential in that most other disciplines start with just one or two that there seems to be consensus around and, and starts to explore that more deeply rather than the initial effort to try to map them all out or map a first set of 10 or 20 or something. So, um, so I did offer some, di or I will be offering some diagrams in, in the publications that are about to be submitted, but, um, but that's really more a reflection of early conversations rather than anything as firm as, as mapping. I think I don't have the level of confidence or arrogance to think that this early stage I could do that, um, but I, I did find that um, that there was some real strong consensus around that. I think at this stage it's also probably really important to say that not just for child and youth care, but for some other disciplines, there's been a move away from this notion of concepts, which again, the whole mapping business, um, neat and tidy concepts that you could kind of establish on a map, when actually um, it's messier than that and certainly and in fact, in the research, the word messy came up an awful lot. Um, <laughs> so it's more thinking about it could be a concept or it could be an area of practice or an area of learning. That So the word concept is a bit easier than areas of learning and areas of practice. And you, if you know me at all, I'm pretty quick to find a wordier way of doing things. But <laughs> actually, co concept should be code for something more complex than just a neat, tidy concept. Well, the, the, the notion of threshold certainly indicates something much more than a concept, right? Uh, you know, this yes. idea of transformative, I would certainly, is embedded in the, the name. So I'd, I'd like and to move... You know, actually, mm -hmm. before we move on, yes. I, I realized I didn't really answer your question, though, about like what motivated me to do this. And it was listening to what you just said. And I think my experience of direct practice, it was the transformational moments, both mine and and watching or 
feeling privileged to be a part of kids' transformations, that was the thing that kept me coming back, especially through the difficult times. And the moments in my indirect practice now probably are the trans watching students and maybe getting to be part of their transformations as well. And so I think it's that transformational quality as a way of understanding education that probably attracted me to threshold concept theory and that transformational quality that made me think this could be really relevant and useful for our field. Can you give me an example of a, a transformation that happened to you in your practice that perhaps might reveal something about this notion of threshold? Oh, that's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind was the transition around my understanding of care. Um, It probably wasn't my first one, but it's the first one that comes to mind when you ask me that. And I've tried to write about this on occasion for CYC online, as well as for an article called, um, or an article, a journal called Good Enough Care that's freely available online here in the UK, but internationally it's available. And it's coming, part of that was supported by coming to understand the difference between residential treatment and the underlying belief system and care and, you know, residential child care or restorative healing care, which is more how my philosophy has changed. And definitely there's been a transition as a result of that, that was, that meets some of the other characteristics of threshold concepts. And I remember when I first moved here, and I think I've written about this a little bit, um, and I was being discouraged from using the word treatment on my CV and um, because people wouldn't understand that and they would think it's it's medical, which actually treatment is a bit of a medical model. And I was like, but it isn't just care. We're doing more than care because my conception of care was very limited. And so I've definitely had a journey around that, both in practice and in indirect, direct practice and indirect practice um, in terms of a, a complete change in, in how I think about care and how I try and manifest care in my day-to-day life in my professional practice. So that would be probably the first ex- or the, the most immediate example for me. That's a, that's a great example. I've, I've been fascinated by, by care as of, as of late and really thinking about and theorizing care and what care means. And I, was, I, I noted the, how you frame your own practice about residential treatment in the U.S., residential care in Scotland, and I was intrigued by that. Anyways, that's a whole other podcast about care, which we'll have some <laughs> other time. I Yay. promise the listeners there will be a, a, a podcast or five on care coming up because it's, it's something that really interests me. Let's return to this notion of, 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 your, of your work in particular around threshold concepts. And, and you, you tried to, or, you know, as you were trying to figure out, are there you know, one or two or, or three threshold concepts within child and youth care. And, and, and in particular, you're focusing on residential care initially. You did a, a research with a, a two focus groups, one and then some in-depth one-on-one interviews, a focus group of, of primarily educators who teach in child and youth care, residential care, and practitioners who work in residential care. What were some of the main threshold concepts that you identified based upon your preliminary research with these groups? Yeah, and and I'll just add that um, it was two 
two sets of focus groups, but within those, so there was, I think, 14 or 15 educators from both sides of the Atlantic, the UK and North America, and one from New Zealand, and, um, and similarly practitioners. I think we did three focus groups of educators and five focus groups of practitioners um, just to, with, you know, scheduling challenges. So, yes. um, yeah, so, and so across all of those focus groups, probably the, across the educator focus groups, there was slightly more discussion and emphasis around this notion of use of self, but that holds quite a lot. So when people were talking about the importance of self-reflection or the importance of being able to manage oneself or knowing oneself, so quite a lot went into that. But when you combined all of that emphasis on self in the various ways and called that use of self, that probably got the most attention. But second and a close second was relational practice in the in Great Britain it's often referred to as relationship based practice so both of those and the relationship that sort of thing was a close second across the educators and in talking to direct practitioners it flipped so relational practice or relationship based practice was and the relationship was um, the thing that was spoken about the most and use of self was second. So those two clearly resonate. And if you think about it, they are so interconnected as well. You can't really separate them in any meaningful way. Um, you can kind of try, but there's so much overlap. And so it's kind of not surprising. And, you know, given what we in our field write about so much, there's so much written about that, that it, it wasn't a great surprise, although it was a nice confirmatory confirming kind of thing. Um, life space got a lot of uh, attention across the focus groups. Child development, whether people were talking about attachment or um, other forms of child development, that was the most, or just a developmental perspective generally, or other forms of child development got quite a lot of talk, as did containment theory. And I was surprised. I, I'm, I'm quite a fan of containment theory, and I do teach it um, over here in Great Britain, and so it's beginning to get some traction. But actually, some of our North American um, practitioners as well as um, educators uh, mentioned containment as well. And as we've just spoken about very briefly, care and what care really means um, and all of that did get a bit of, of comment, more than a bit, because there were quite a lot of things that got just a little bit of comment, but these were the ones that got the most. So that seems like a, a fair amount more than than one or two. Is is was that to be expected? Um, it's interesting because how coherent or how much congruence there would be across such a wide geography in some ways was surprising. But I think given how much cross-fertilization between different geographies and different traditions. The residential child care here in, in Scotland is being strongly informed by child and youth care, but it really comes from a, a UK social work tradition, for better and for worse, I think. And so um, the fact that there were that many that seemed to be that said, and, and coming with my um, skeptical researcher hat on, I think all of the, certainly all of the educator focus groups and most, I think, of the practitioner, direct practitioner focus groups were a mix of North and South America, or not North and South America, of <laughs> either side of the Atlantic. Yeah. So so the fact that it came 
across, say, you know, most of the focus groups, I think all of the focus groups talked about relationship, relational practice or relationship-based practice. But you had North Americans in every focus group. Do you know what I mean? Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. Um, so what does it really tell us? It, it tells us we need to do more research. It's <laughs> often what research tells us, doesn't it? I've never heard that conclusion before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not surprised with the relational practice. And, and I mentioned the publication that I'm working on, and I'm pulling together the literature um, to offer kind of a context from the literature around relational practice as I kind of delve deeper into what the data tells us. And across not just the residential child care UK tradition, the child and youth care tradition in North America, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, etc. But the social pedagogic tradition also locates the relationship as central, as fundamental. So there is some sort of consilience that has been happening in the last few years of different parts of the world beginning to really strongly focus in on on the relationship and how that should manifest in practice. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, or I'm curious, I'm not quite sure how to frame this. So relationship as a, as a, as a, as an idea in be it residential care, be it social pedagogy, be it child and youth care. And maybe I'm speaking for ignorance here, hardly seems threshold to me. It seems to me that most, you know, so I, I teach often, I'll teach introductory course on relational practices in child and youth care. And it is not at all a transformative notion for young people that we're going to be in, or for students that we're going to be in relationship with young people. Um, you know, you've you've said that there's there's five defining characteristics of threshold concepts: transformative, irreversible, integrative, bounded, and troublesome. I'm I'm. I'm not sure how I how use of self or relational practice are any of those particularly. Great. Let's let's dig in then. <laughs> <laughs> so um, transformative um, in the data the so both so the the focus groups were really just does this seem relevant and useful and these do these five characteristics seem applicable and if so um what might be some threshold concepts and i wonder too if sometimes people nominated concepts or areas of learning areas of practice that um were really really important rather than just threshold because you know, it, the theory was new to them. They had some materials sent out in advance of the focus groups, but still, you know, and people are busy. That said, when you start to um, unpick the layers, so transformative um, relational practice, I was able to get to that more deeply in the in-depth interviews that I then followed up with, with a subset of the direct care practitioners. And all of these people had part of the criteria for them being a part of the study was they had to have a dedicated um, college or university level, um, you know, w degree work in child and youth care, therapeutic child care, or residential child care. So if they just had like a generic social work qualification, then they weren't 
um, then they, they weren't eligible to participate. And that was partly because the certainly the generic social work qualifications here in um, Scotland don't really address what happens in the life space, most of them. There's at least one exception that I know about. Um, the other thing is they needed to be currently working or have recently um, been having worked in residential childcare so that they could talk about their experiences of of their uh, learning and practice. So so when we had these interviews and the, the kind of main focus of the interview was how have you come to understand relational practice and what has that journey been like for you? Um, so I was interested in what their early form, their early conceptualizations of, re of relational practice were compared to now. And there was quite a lot, actually, and, and the stuff I sent you, Wolfgang, didn't include this. Uh, this is a more recent stuff I've, I've been doing, but there's quite a lot about early experiences around power, using relationship for the purposes of power, control, mm. in a punitive manner, mm -hmm. um, or even just basically the relationship being conceptualized in a very instrumental way. Like if you have a good relationship with kids, you know, it's easier to get them to do stuff for you or do stuff when you need them to do it. And I, yes. I remember thinking like that sure, when I first sure, got in the sure, door, sure. right? Yeah, they like and, me. I'm so great at my job. Yeah, exactly. That too. Um, but then shifting to seeing the relationship as the intervention for some people talked about that. Um, and understanding the complexities of a relationship that isn't predicated upon power and control, um, the relationship as having intrinsic value, um, and learning how to do relationships, if you will, with children, young people who had had terrible experiences of relationships with adults prior to coming into um, care and so how um, and now I feel myself sliding into the troublesomeness but how transformative and how much of a transformation they needed to go through to go from these very kind of primitive ways of thinking about relationship to much more um, complex sophisticated nuanced way that and and to be able to do relationship in a way that put the child at the center and interestingly, several of them talked about how they think it's a lifelong, like, it's not like you get through the threshold and, and then you get it, like, mm. that this is perhaps a threshold that is ongoing. And I, it also came out a little bit in the focus groups and certainly in my dealing with all of the data and all of the literature, I wonder if, if our field is going through threshold around what relational practice actually means as well. So there's been transformations in the field around what that means and there definitely was evidence from direct care practitioners that the way they thought about relationship and did relationship definitely had to go through a transformation. Um, all of them, when I asked if they could ever go back, do they think, and so I'm going to the second characteristic which is irreversible, and when I asked them if they ever thought they could go back to thinking about relationships or being in relationships with kids in, in the previous ways that they had talked about, all of them were sh strongly in the negative. There's just once you've kind of gone through this transformation, there's no going back. Mm. Um, 
integrative is the third characteristic and the definition of that characteristic is that once you get it, you begin to see relationships between other concepts um, in a way that you didn't before. And I, I asked, I didn't ask directly about the integrative characteristic, but when I went through and, well, no, I, that's not true. I asked if coming to understand um, relational practice help them to understand other parts of the curriculum or other parts of their practice. And it was interesting because some of them had a hard time coming up with stuff. Some of them did like attachment theory. They understood differently now because they understood themselves as an attachment figure for children, young people. That was one of the things that one of the people said. But a lot of them like were kind of like drew a blank but if you looked at what they said throughout the whole interview, they were making all sorts of connections mm. between that journey of coming to understand relationship differently with other aspects of their practice or aspects of their learning on their courses. And there were num numerous um, other areas of practice and learning that were highly evident as, as integrating with this developing understanding of relationship. Could you, could you give it an example of, of how sort of once they understood this this transformative notion of relational practice, how that might apply to other areas of practice and, and particularly people who are working in, in the field? Good question. Nothing's coming to mind at the top of my head, but I have this at my fingertips, so I'm going to open it up. <laughs> um, if I can, I think I have it at my fingertips. And if um, you don't, that's okay. There it is. Yeah, so um, because I was surprised at how much was there outside of the answer to the question, although that does happen in, in some of the research that I've done before where the direct question doesn't yield it, but people then talk about it with other stuff. So um, integrative, yeah, it'll be up here. Nope, I don't, maybe I didn't try it about it in order. And I'm drawing a blank, and it'll probably okay. come back to me as we start to talk about the next bit. But no problem. Yeah, sorry, Wolfgang. That's okay, that's okay. Let's imagine that I am a practitioner who's been around for a decade. I've been working residential care. I, I, I work relationally. I'm, I believe in relational work. I've, I've you know, I, I stumble upon this this podcast or or something in CYC online how is this relevant how is this okay so yeah I know that I, I, I'm relational and relational is important why is this idea uh, this notion this this writing this theory about um, threshold concepts relevant to me as a practitioner um, this question is really useful to help me finish answering the last one because when I drew a blank <laughs> I forgot about the last two characteristics but we'll use those last two characteristics yeah. to, um, and to yeah. illustrate the relevance to a person in the field even a person with a lot of experience um, I'll start with troublesomeness and actually that is the most recognizable of the five characteristics um, so if you work in the field and you have a, a a sophisticated, nuanced understanding of relational practice that isn't 
all about controlling kids and your own aggrandizement, for example, then um, you probably can recognize other people who think they're good at relationship, but who have still a very underdeveloped view of that or sense of that or practice around that. And so understanding that it is a process to come to really understand any of the threshold concepts in our field and and at this stage I'm only strongly proposing that relational practices, but I suspect that that it, it will, you know, become more widely accepted as such. It it can help you understand sometimes the struggles of, of your other colleagues. It might help you understand your own troublesome um, your own troublesome areas related to say relational practice or really any other area of of your practice or of your learning and that now helps me answer the question that I was stumped on so one of the big things that came out of um, all of the, the I don't know about all but most of the focus groups and the interviews had to do with boundaries like boundaries was a really challenging part of relational practice for people to get their head around and kind of learn how to do and um, boundaries can be broken up into two kind of categories. One was boundaries around how close is okay, and um, and the other can be around um, setting boundaries or setting limits. And um, again, there's a relationship between the two. But um, so even if you are quite developed in your practice around how you are with kids in relationship, still can easily come into some troublesome area with a particular kid or going to a new place of work where um, boundaries are done in a very different way, for example. And so being able to being able to name why is this difficult and why how might we think about this differently, both in terms of I should know this already and actually having kind of more generosity towards yourself and gentleness towards yourself, um, as well as how might I get some clarity on this. I think threshold concept theory has something to offer in that respect. Um, So particularly related to troublesomeness, not just your own challenges and getting your head around how to do something well, but in relation to how to be of use to fellow colleagues who may be struggling with an area that for you, you've kind of come through the threshold without even realizing it and take for granted that you can do it pretty well most of the time. I think I think that's of use. I, mm-hmm. I mean, when I first came to want to, you know, do more research into threshold concept theory for our field, I was thinking about how educators could do our job better so that people in the front lines feel more equipped and most importantly always for children young people and their families to have better experiences of care and better life chances ultimately but um so the troublesomeness i think is the most easy to identify both generally as a you know characteristic of threshold concepts but i also think it um it's the easiest to kind of see well yeah how would it be useful to begin to understand why why I'm having trouble with that or why my colleague is or that sort of thing. And there's more work to be done in relation to relational practice as well as other potential threshold concepts to offer better guidance to help people through the threshold, especially the troublesome aspects. I really like the idea of, of troublesome being a, 
a check and an indicator and a, a, a flag for for me when I'm working with with young people. Okay, I'm struggling here, or, you know, or be it around boundaries or, or anything else. And and what what's my struggle? What's going on here? And is this connected to you know passing through a, a threshold, being you know in a, a a, a discrepancy between how I understand and 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 what's happening around me, and that's that's a nice it's a nice flag and and one that I can certainly imagine using in my in my work. Just as we as we wrap up this conversation, because yes, half an hour has disappeared already. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we haven't really touched on bounded, and I, I wonder if there's a way to, without yeah. being overly poetic, bound our conversation by ending with perfect. That. Yeah, so bounded is the toughest characteristic, I think, to get your head around. Um, and I do th wonder if threshold concepts or threshold concept theory is threshold in itself. But um, <laughs> I, it took me a while to get a sense about it. And it um, seems to be the hardest for others when I'm, um, you know, when I'm doing the work around threshold concept theory. But really, it bounded is is referring to the kind of boundaries around our field the the places that demarcate child and youth care say from other forms of practice and so when I went through the data I was looking for when people would say things like yeah this this aspect of my course or this aspect of child and youth care is you know distinguishes us from other other forms of practice kind of thing and definitely in the in the way that we think about relationships and do relationships it is different than certainly than field work certainly than the therapist client relationship there are parallels and there are aspects that inform the way we do it and inform the way they do it and there's definitely overlaps but there's also something and it was talked about very poignantly in one of the focus groups about the intimacy of caring for children, young people, and the intimacy between um, adults and children and between children um, in um, certain life-space settings, and that that has been seen as threatening um, from, a, say, a fieldwork perspective or from other perspectives. And so the, the boundedness, I think, can help us articulate why relationships need to be thought about and need to look differently in life-space work than what we would expect a professional relationship to look like, say, um, between a, a therapist and a client or between a field social worker and her client. And so I think threshold concept theory gives us some traction around being able to better articulate why we do what we do in the way that we do um, and in a way that can convince other people to kind of be a little less defensive and frightened and... Um, open to thinking differently about our fields than what things look like in terms of what's professional even, let alone what the professional relationship should look like in other fields. So that's part of it. And I think there's, I think the boundedness and the troublesomeness cross over because I think a lot of fields don't understand child and youth care. Um, and so part of our troublesomeness is that our the boundedness around our field isn't as clear and clearly articulated as it could be. So hopefully this will help us with an effort that's already been going on for quite a number of years, but it might just add a bit more energy and um, articulation to the process. I, I 
so adore that that framing of the intimacy of our work and mm. and how relevant that is to care we, we we you started talking about your own transformative moment in residential care as being one of caring and mm-hmm. we're ending this this conversation around threshold concepts returning to care and returning to the intimacy of care and and what makes our caring you know different or perhaps unique um you know there's many you know every field talks about well every field that deals with people talks about relationship you know and so what is it about child and youth care and and relationship and relational practice and and in child and youth care that is different than any other field and i and i think you are starting to um, be able to articulate some of that and i and i really really look forward to to you know watching this this threshold concept theory evolve in child and youth care and to see what what comes of it and and how it might in, inform and so i want to thank you for for your work on this um it was it was something that i was unfamiliar with before i met you and uh and for your podcast today just as we close up is there anything else that that uh is important for us to to touch on knowing that we could talk for two or three more hours I guess the only other thing is the parallel between our own journeys through thresholds as developing human beings and the thresholding processes that um, kids are going through that mm-hmm. we, you might not, as a listener, you might not have thought about it as a thresholding process, but whether there's benefit in thinking about um, what the transformations that kids are going through and the ones that we're going through being threshold and how that might help us not only have more clarity about how to be facilitative, but also more compassion through that too. So that would be the only thing I would add to how the, you know, this way of thinking might be of benefit to people. Yeah, that's great. I, 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 um, I would love to have another conversation at some point <laughs> in the future about this idea of, of threshold uh, with with the young people we work with. What the, what is their role in in understanding threshold concepts? How might they be part of this this research? And and how how do we do that? Anyways, so many ideas, so many great. I, I look forward to the multi volume books you're going to publish <laughs> on the on the concept. Um, in the interim, thank you so 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 much, Laura and. Um, I encourage people to to seek out your writing. Much of what you're what we talked about today isn't isn't yet published, but um, is is in the is in the works. Yeah, there's one short thing that's published in CYC online from 2013 about life space as a potential threshold concept, and the other stuff is still to come. So um, I'll, I'll keep at it. <laughs> yes, and I'll let folks know when uh, when it's published. And, and some, Thank you. In some ways to distribute. Thank you so so much for uh, my taking pleasure. the time today, Laura. Bye bye. Bye-bye.